You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn advanced concepts in baseball explained simply. I'm here to guide you on your baseball journey and help you paddle through what's now an ocean of misinformation, guruism, and overly technical diamond babble. Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. I'm Dan Blewett. In today's episode, we've got three topics we're going to cover the first in more detail that's going to be today the principle of charity and how we can apply that to coaching decisions and uh kind of reduce some of maybe the animosity and some of the conflicts that we find ourselves in as baseball parents then we're going to talk a little bit about blame and where we attribute good and bad luck and uh umpires and then lastly we're going to uh, cover the question of the week uh which was sent in um, by a former student of mine, Nick, who is now a Division One baseball player, and he asked uh, a little bit about how weight plays into pitching velocity. So let's get started with uh, our main topic here today, the principle of charity. So if you're not familiar with this, this is a philosophical um, concept, which is basically just saying that, look, we need to interpret any um, speaker's statements in the most rational and uh, altruistic way possible. So This is saying like, hey, if you read an email or you see me do something, not immediately assuming that I did that just to be a jerk, just to be just because I'm an idiot. Um, The principle of charity says, look, give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he was doing it for the right reasons. Assume that he meant the most intelligent thing possible when he he did that Um, and just assume the best before being proven otherwise. And I think especially in our cancel culture, in our Twitter culture, We certainly do not apply the principle of charity enough. And I'll give you an example, um, and I'm sure every one of you out there listening has an example of this where maybe you jumped the gun or a parent jumped the gun and assumed the worst without maybe having all of the information. And so um, I don't remember the exact details of this example, but basically um, one year I was uh, head coach on my teams and I pulled a player out from like second base or somewhere in the infield and maybe like the fifth inning. And I swapped in a, a lesser, you know, one of our backup players and the parent after the game was pissed about this decision because like, why are they, why are they putting him in? Why are they putting that kid in at this point in the game? This makes no sense. This is stupid. They shouldn't have taken my son out. Why are they putting that kid in? Well, the reason I took that starter out and the reason I put the lesser kid in was because I needed the starter to be my sort of emergency, I might need to go to you pitching kid and I didn't want to pull him in from the field. So this was a classic example of, you don't know why I did what I did, but what I did made a lot of sense. And if you had maybe taken the time, obviously me speaking hypothetically to this parent in the past, if you'd taken the time to maybe consider, you know what, Dan probably did that for a good reason. I don't know the reason, but I'm going to assume that there was a really good reason for it and that he wasn't doing it just to screw my kid over, just to take away playing time or just to allocate playing time to a kid who maybe didn't deserve it or just, you know, was lower on the depth chart. But I think we do that a lot as parents having very incomplete information. And one of the challenges that I want you all to be uh, constantly remembering with with coaches, also with umpires, is that they are always trying their best. There are certainly times where coaches are trying to get their own kid, you know, more playing time or they play some favorites. That does certainly happen. But I think we also need to 
err on the side of assuming that that's not happening until really proven otherwise. This, again, just goes back to the principle of charity. You can interpret lots of different things a lot of different ways. And I think it's always best to err on the side of saying, you know what, I'm going to assume that they meant well and that they had more facts that I maybe don't understand because I'm just not there. I'm not privy to that information. And I'm just going to take the high road and, and give them, you know, apply the principle of charity here and say that, all right, I don't know. I don't have all the facts. So let's assume the best until, you know, I can clear this up or, or ask. And one of the things with today's uh, version of baseball is parents are more involved, um, often to a detriment than ever before. And so that barrier of there is no barrier between parents and coaches and players where, you know, it can be a text after a weekend. Hey, why didn't my son get any innings this weekend? Why didn't he catch? Why did he only catch one game instead of three games? You know, there's not much of a barrier in amateur baseball. And so with that, um, coaches try to be more transparent and explain moves more than ever. I think, I think they're trying and aware that this is a need. I know this is something that I tried and our coaches were always encouraged to look, Try to be as transparent as you can. Let kids know what their role is. Let them know what you expect from them in a given weekend. Help them understand the roadmap of the weekend, like where you're going to start, where you're not. You know, so they understand, like, yeah, this is my game to sit, but I'm going to play next game, right? Rather than just being in the dark, hey, I'm sitting this game. I don't know if I'm going to play the whole weekend, right? So coaches, I think, are are probably being better at this than ever because there's a clear need for it. But at the same time, coaches don't have time to explain everything that they do. Like in that one situation, there's no way I'm going to like go tell the parents, Hey, this is why I'm pulling your kid out. They don't need to know. They just don't. Uh, if they're pissed about it, so be it. Like, I don't care, but it doesn't need to cause a conflict later on when maybe their son who I did explain, Hey, I'm taking you out because I need you to pitch or I might need you to pitch. Their son might be aware of this and might explain later and then diffuse the situation where, you know, he gets in the car and parents like, oh man, your coach, what was he doing? Like, that didn't make any sense. Why did he take you out? Well, oh, he took me out because of this. Oh, oh, I guess, yeah, that makes sense. So again, this is just always err on the side of assuming the best, of assuming there was an intelligent reason until proven otherwise. And a lot of times your kids are going to come home and say, oh yeah, coach did this because of this. And they're like, oh, that makes sense now. Right. Or, oh yeah, coach, you know, left me out there a little longer because he had to do this. And you really need me to get through the inning because we did this. Then this pitcher didn't have to pitch. Then this happens. Then this ha- there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, forward thinking required to get through a game and especially a long weekend of tournament play. So I just urge you, if you're out there listening, apply the principle of charity, not just on the baseball field, but just everywhere you can. Don't assume people are are being malicious on Twitter. Don't assume that email that maybe had some weird wording that they're trying to be a jerk or trying to, to marginalize you always assume the best and, and try to assume that you don't need to take offense unless proven otherwise. All right. For our 90 second mindset today, we're going to cover umpires. And this is what I want. This is for anyone, for parents, for players, for kids. The big thing I want to impress upon you is, Please do not explain away wins and losses, bad games, any of that stuff because of umpires. The thing with umpires is, and you have to, you have to look at baseball, especially with its long seasons, with its many innings, 
uh, with its variable field conditions, right? Like in basketball, field conditions are not a thing, right? There's always just a, a hardwood floor and a pretty standard size rim, right? It's like you're playing in the rain or in the heat, in the heat or in the, the sleet, the snow. You know, in baseball, it's incredibly variable what your conditions are. And I want you to assume that the umpires are essentially no different than a bad mound or a rocky, dirty infield or a thunderstorm while you're pitching, um, whatever, you know, a short porch and right field. All these things affect the game and the umpires are essentially a part of the field. So I'd like you to assume that when umpires make a bad call, that's no different than a, than a ground ball hitting a rock and bouncing over your shortstop's head for a single. You know, these are parts of the game that when you look at the game from and, and your season and your career over a long period of time, they even out. You're not just going to like somehow get screwed on every call or get screwed on 80% of calls during a given season. It's just not going to work out that way. You're going to get calls that go towards you. You're going to get calls that go against you. Sometimes they're going to be very poorly timed and maybe cost you a game. But the thing is, even when they cost you a game, you need to look deeper in yourself and say, okay, yeah, he took away an out. He took away a strike. It changed that inning. You know, we could have scored two runs, but we also had some pretty unfocused at bats in the third inning and left a couple runners on then, you know, that was on us. So if we had done our job earlier, then we don't let the umpire change the game. That those that bad call doesn't matter if we do our job earlier. And that's always the way to, to approach life, not just baseball, but life. There is a distinct, everyone knows them. There, in every baseball clubhouse, there's the same thing. There's the guy who says, oh yeah, I mean, I got screwed. That's why the, the Red Sox released me or the Rockies released me. I didn't get promoted because of politics, because I got screwed, this and that, blah, blah. There's always people that assume that Everyone else is out to get them. And then there's other people that say, you know what? This stuff is just prevalent in everyday life. The good luck, the bad luck, the politics, they do exist sometimes. Um, but if you don't like it, just play better, right? You don't like getting screwed by the umpire squeezing you in the seventh inning. Play better in the first through sixth innings, right? Make better on the chances that you do have. Don't let it come down to chance. And I think that's the big message. So when you're a parent, don't let your kids get in the car and complain about the umpires. And as a parent, don't complain about the umpires to your kids. Don't let them start to say, my success is dictated by external factors. The, the best thing you can do is help kids understand that they're in control of their destiny, even when they're not, because their way of explaining away the good and the bad is going to help them be more determined in the future and make better progress to improving the things that hold them back. All right, now it's time for our listener Q&A portion of the show. Questions from the pious. Pious means to be devoutly faithful, and if you're devout to the game of baseball, then you're exactly the kind of person I want to hear from. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, please email a voice recording to hello at danblewett.com. All right, and our question of the day was submitted by Nick. Hi, Dan. This is Nick from Illinois. I would love to hear what you believe to be the ideal body weight for a pitcher. Does mass really equal gas? All right. Thanks for the question, Nick. Hope you're doing well back there in Illinois. So yes, does body mass equal throwing gas, right? Mass equals gas. That's one of those dorky sayings. Uh, in general, it does. So pretty much everyone, when they're younger and smaller, they throw slower. If you take any, and this is where it goes back to my sort of doppelganger test. 
Your doppelganger is a German word. It means double goer. It's uh, it means you in an alternate universe, essentially. So there, if there was a twin version of you, um, what would they be like in an alternate universe? So you can use this as a comparison for lots of different attributes where you're asking yourself, if I did this, would I be that? So if you imagine yourself, you're six foot 175 and you throw 84 miles per hour. If you're six foot 185 and you added 10 good pounds of muscle, do you throw harder than the, than the six foot 175 kid? I mean, probably, right? Like who would bet against that? If your mechanics are the, are the same, everything's constant. You didn't get less flexible when you added your, your muscle mass then your body is just going to have more force to put behind the ball because your body works as a chain. It works as a sequence. It works as a unit. And so stronger legs and a stronger back and stronger shoulders and stronger forearms, all that stuff. How would 10 pounds of extra muscle not help you throw harder? And when you start to see some of these pro guys and how darn big they are, um, it becomes clear why guys who are six foot four tend to just throw the ball really hard, especially when they're filled out and they've got some strength. Um, it's just as a whole players that are bigger and stronger and that means taller with longer arms and also just more muscular they're gonna throw harder than kids who are smaller and shorter and less muscular i mean i think that's very clear so obviously there's a point where everyone gets to where that stops being the case like if you're uh, so like for me i'm six foot 200 my playing weight in my last three seasons was six foot 200 if i get to six foot 210 i wasn't probably gonna throw much harder maybe a little bit if I was six, six foot 220, I don't know why I keep saying my height as if that's going to change, but if I was 220 pounds, am I going to throw harder than being at 210? Eh, probably not. So for me, once I was like pretty much filled up, like I had all the muscle mass my body needed to throw a ball optimally, then it's like, okay, I'm pretty much maxed out. Like I don't need to put more weight. But you know, for me as a college freshman, I was 170 pounds. So there was a big 30 pound gap of me getting to my hardest velocity. And that took me from low 80s to to low to mid 90s. So I think for everyone, the question is, can I continue to pack on a lot of weight? And the answer for almost everyone, unless you're a college junior, is yes, that you can continue to put on a lot of weight. And even if you're a big, strong high schooler, there's like a second puberty that everyone seems to hit when they go to college. And you add on that second freshman, 15, 20, and it's not just dining hall and beer. It's like you're in the weight room if you're a college athlete a lot on a very structured program with other guys who are bigger and stronger than you pushing you it's a very it's a and, and with the dining hall and i guess some of the beer that's just giving you a lot of calories to for the first time really build yourself up because as a high schooler it's hard to eat enough calories when you're getting out of bed at six in the morning and you're tired and you're rolling into school and then you can't eat in class or you get in trouble and you've got to pack like how are you going to pack five thousand calories you know to really get the calorie density that you need to really grow as you're killing it in the weight room. You know, then you go to baseball practice, you're on the heat for three hours and you have basketball practice all winter. There's just, it seems like it's really hard to get um, on the positive side of calories as a high schooler. Cause again, if mom and dad aren't working really hard to pack your lunches, like really significant lunches, plus a ton of after school food, uh, it's hard. It's just really tough. And you're very, very active. You're running around with school friends and activities. In college, you're doing one thing, right? You're playing baseball and you're going to and you're going to class. Well, that's two things. But beyond that, dining hall food, there's it's plentiful. You can sit down there and just crush food for a while. You know, you steal some bagels, you hopefully get fed at the field, you get hopefully like another stipend for food. There's a lot of ways to get tons of calories and you're gonna get on a pretty good rigorous weightlifting program. So um 
pretty much everyone, if you want to throw harder, you need to commit yourself in the long term to being as muscular as you can possibly be for your frame size. And you'll know it when you hit it. Again, like when I was 185, I was really muscular. I had like six pack abs. I was carrying a lot of muscle and very little body fat. Um, but even then 185, like wasn't big enough for me when I got to like 190, 195, that's when I really like hit my, essentially my set point. And then I like slowly climbed towards 200, um, at a slightly fatter body weight. Um, but for me, like that 190 to 200 pound range was for me being like an optimal pitcher. Like that was me getting as much out of my body as I could. And I was a strong, formidable looking athlete at that point, a grown man, right? So everyone wants to get to that point. So great question, Nick. I appreciate it. So takeaway here is keep packing on weight until you're very, very sure that you're pretty much filled out, that you're a big, strong dude and you're tapping into every mile per hour that your body can produce. Well, that's it for today's episode of Dear Baseball Gods. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while improving your baseball IQ, buy one of my books or enroll today in an online pitching course. Sign up for any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code BASEBALLGODS just for being a listener. My online courses walk you through pitching mechanics, strategy, learning new pitches, and mental skills training. They're start to finish an amazing solution for pitchers, parents, and coaches who want step-by-step instruction. Pitching Isn't Complicated, my first book, is a thorough pitching manual with strategy, pitch grips, mechanics, mindset, routines, and other high-level pitching concepts. Not sure what your son is in for if he falls in love with the game? Dear Baseball Gods, the book is my memoir, a story of growing up in the game, persevering through injuries and setbacks, and struggling with identity when I finally had to clean out my locker. Buy a copy today via the links in the show notes, available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook if you just can't get enough of my voice. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my YouTube channel where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of baseball instructional videos. As always, hustle and stay pious. I'm Dan Blewett, and I'll see you next time.